Welcome to the Curveball Defied. On today's podcast, we have the pleasure of having Lisa Dunson. Lisa has a degree in business management. At the beginning of her career, she worked in business development. And in today's podcast, we will learn how she was able to become a great leader and manage three companies, one of which is Acumen Group, which is a firm that gives financial advice to consumers. Thank you again, Lisa, for coming on to today's podcast. And all the way from the other side of the world in New Zealand. We want to start off by talking a little bit about your background and how that has shaped your current career. Well, that's a, you know, that's a pretty big question. I, I guess, you know, when I was thinking about this is that I came from, I would say, a very blue-collar family in a, you would probably call it a very small town, but in New Zealand where, I don't know, we were about 60,000 people at that point in time, but that's probably our, like, I don't know, sixth or seventh largest city, so, but but big smoke for us, but not so much for you, and my father was a tradesperson, um, pretty much all my extended family were kind of tradespeople, my mother worked part-time while she looked after us, and so it was a very blue-collar upbringing, it wasn't a big drive to you know, get an education. It was more about getting married, having 2.4 kids, working in an office job, working for the government, and and then maybe just working part-time when you had kids. So that wasn't appealing to me in the slightest. I don't know what it was. I just didn't really want that life. And so I went to university. I was the first person in my extended family that had ever gone to university. And I just was kind of like, oh, well, let's just go and give it a whirl and, you know, go. And, and I guess I'd always had a bit of a thirst for, for learning and getting ahead because whilst at high school, I had three jobs. So I worked pretty much full time. Well, probably not full time, but I probably did about 25, 30 hours a week while I was at high school. Wow. And so, you know, it was just, I guess it's that drive to to get ahead and I didn't want that kind of really traditional sort of lifestyle so I think that you know that's a kind of a, a key driver for me is how do I how did I build my life so I had freedom of choice and that's been a thread through pretty much everything that I've done my entire life how do I you know being a female and a sort of going back a few years ago now because I guess we'd be going back 40 plus years ago in my teens and early teens early teens qualify that thinking about small time a small town small town mentality and I was like oh my god how do I be in a situation where I'm not forced to do certain things because a lot of my friends got pregnant young ended up in marriages that they weren't happy with you know all that sort of stuff and I was like I was horrified by the thought of that so that drove really my quest to get ahead financially and to get ahead financially you need to have an education so that was kind of the basis of, of things starting out yeah, it's quite interesting that you said that you followed a different path than what your family did and what they knew. And when you're growing up, your family tries to give you the best advice they possibly could to try to lead you the best possible way. But at a certain point in your life, you have to end up to make decisions for yourself. When you ended up deciding to make that decision to go to college and go to university, how did your family react with that? Well, I remember my mother, luckily she's probably not going to be listening to this podcast, but um, <laughs> she said to me, I remember the morning of sitting my law exam and she's like, well, I don't know, I understand why you're wasting your life going to university. So it was kind of why it didn't make any sense to them. Look, you know, the, the, the I'm fortunate that I come from a lovely family and they, I would describe them as very ordinary, very nice 
people. I learned a lot about hard work from my parents and I learned some very, very good values from my parents. But in terms of getting ahead and doing something different, I've always been the black sheep in the extended family and people even today go, oh, so what do you do? Oh, I don't really understand. That all sounds a bit kind of hard because they're all married with 2.4 kids in the white picket fence. So, you know, my whole extended family. So I've always been the kind of the odd one out. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being the odd one out. I think that what it does, it puts like a little bit of a chip on your shoulders because it's like, I always see that there's more than one way to get to the end destination. And just because everybody did it in one way, it doesn't mean that's the only way. And sometimes trying to find your own original way or trying to chase your passions is more important because one of my biggest fears is when I'm going to be like in my 80s and 90s and I'm going to be like, I wish I did something else with my life. Like who knows what, what could have happened? At least if you chase your dreams now, when you actually could make an impact, you could make an impact when you're 90 years old, but you're not going to be able to enjoy the reward that comes with you're making your dreams come true. But right now, when you're when you have a chance to follow your dreams, I think you should always follow them because who knows what may happen. Yeah, I think I was interesting, though, I, I was probably driven more from a fear of failure in the early days than than a drive for success it was that oh my god you know I can't be in a situation where other people dictate my life and so it was just that enormous drive to be able to be independent interesting looking at my personality traits I'm fairly direct and to the point which has caused a few challenges over the years and it's you know it's interesting but a lot of it is because I just really want I don't want anyone to be I get really I get really get my knickers in a knot when I see bullying type behavior for instance you know and it's that a lot of it comes from my own fiercely independent view of the world and I really want to support other people to have that freedom of choice and to be independent as well which has been a thread that has been through most of my career yeah and I think that one thing that also does shape a person is where they come from you mentioned that you came from a smaller town like the high school I went to had 6,000 people 10% of the population of the whole city that you grew up with, which is kind of crazy to think about coming from New York City compared to other parts of the world. But the people that you surround yourself with really do have an impact. And if a lot of people are doing something and you're like, no, I want to try something else, it gives you that, oh, I might fail. So it makes you even drive even harder and you start working a lot more. So it's really beneficial to always have that chip on your shoulder. I wanted to talk a little bit more about like Initially, your family, they were confused by you going to get your degree. But after you got your degree, actually ended up going back to get more graduate certificates and a bunch of other numerous courses. What made you want to go do that? Did you want to just be like, I'm going the full way? I don't I don't know whether there was anything strategic about it, to be fair. You know, if I... I definitely have a thirst for knowledge. I like learning. I have always had a drive to improve myself. My first degree was a Bachelor of Business Studies and uh, majoring in marketing and from that wasn't any strategic decision to study marketing so I thought oh my gosh I'd love to be you know work marketing it was more the fact that I thought oh majoring accounting that sounds really boring finance oh my god that sounds even more boring ironically that's where I ended up and so it's kind of process of elimination that I did marketing and then after I finished my degree I literally like handed in my last assignment and was on a plane to the U.S. 
and worked in the US, which I probably shouldn't have been working in the US, but I was working in ski resorts and, and then traveling all around the US. I think I've been through about 46 states in the sort of in the off season. And, um, and then I eventually, about three and a half years later, I ended up in London, the condensed version. And I was working actually for, I did, I did quite a few different things, but then I eventually landed in sort of a marketing role in, for an IT company. And one of my friends who I had met, who was a Kiwi, had been in the UK for a long time. She, she said, uh, actually, no, I met her at the course. So, so it was one of my neighbors was one of my neighbours, I was living in this bedsit, and she said, oh, this is PR course, and I thought, oh, that sounds like a bloody good idea, you know, and so she was working in sort of the creative industry, so we both signed up for this postgraduate diploma in public relations. Yeah, so that was, the, then I got the next sort of major qualification, and then the other significant one was when I came back to New Zealand, and I'm trying to condense, you know, a lifetime into, um, so I'm not into a short space of time, so I'm not boring everyone, but I got back to New Zealand after being away for about seven years, worked in IT and marketing for a couple of years, and then kind of ended up, a friend of mine said, oh, come out for dinner with me, and so, and I said, oh, sure, why not, so that afternoon, I kind of went out for dinner, it was all about last minute, met this guy who worked in financial services, and he said to me, oh, they're, they're running the seminar tomorrow night. And I thought, oh, well, let's go along to that. And so I went along and I thought, oh, my God, I really wanted to do that. And I really want to become a financial advisor. And at that point in time, 3% of New Zealand's financial advisors were females. So I thought, oh, that sounds like a great idea, turning a hobby into a job. And so I went and studied for my postgraduate diploma in financial planning, basically. So that's where the third one. And then subsequent to that, I've done neuralistic programming, sort of various counselling courses because when you're in finance and you're working with consumers I tell you you've got to have some pretty good skills in terms of marriage counselling and all sorts of things and I've just done numerous stuff over the years real estate agency course um, I don't know I always forget what they are I've done directors courses all sorts of stuff so that was a very long answer to your question but I think the basis of it was just really sometimes it's just it's opportunistic and you're kind of in a place and you think oh that, that makes sense at the time aligned with a very thirst for learning it's kind of just meant that I've collected quite a few things over the years well I mean it sounds like you try to become as well-rounded as possible and because of that and you're like a go-getter trying to find ways to solve issues that you don't have right now but maybe in the future this degree will be able to help you or this diploma will be able to help you it makes you well-rounded and benefits you long-term in the future you mentioned earlier in that great story about how you're out at dinner with your friend and then she had another friend and you found out about this whole industry that women weren't really involved in and you were like, I want to break in. How has networking affected your career and how has it helped you? Because it sounds like it had a great deal. I just, I suppose I talk to people. I, I like people, obviously, because of the type of work that I do. And, you know, I just, do I love networking? Yes and no. I, I'm, you know, I'm probably personality profile wise, I'm sort of half between an introvert and an extrovert. So when I'm at an event, I quite enjoy it, but I do need sometimes to talk myself into going. But I have done an extraordinary amount of networking over the years. So I do have a, a quite a large network. And I think it's just, you know, you go to things and they often have a speaker and I go because I think, oh, that'll be really interesting. I'd like to learn about that. And then you start talking to people and, you know, and then sometimes your opportunities come from that. So I've just always networked. 
And as a result in my industry, I'm very well known. And yeah, so I think it is a really important thing to be doing is to, to be connecting with various people because you just never know what you can learn. And I think you have to also have a, a huge open mind because some of the most fascinating people I've met have been like the most unassuming people and in the most random situations that you could ever possibly think about. Yeah, I think it's quite amazing the way that the world works where you just bump into people that end up helping you in, along the way. You never know what the future holds. That's why it's important to have good relationships with everybody because you never know what may happen in the future. And obviously, when you are doing good things, it does attract other really good people. And one of the things that you do do is you work with other people and you help them invest. What made you want to get into that side of things? Um, well, it was probably my own personal journey, basically. So when I was, um, because I'd worked all this time through through high school, and I bought my first car just soon after leaving high school, and I also had some money, and I'd saved $5,000, which was a lot back then, and I invested in the New Zealand share market. But I invested in the New Zealand share market at the age of 16, coming up to 17, 16, and it was in 1986, which was right before the huge share market crash in New Zealand of 1987. So uh, it wasn't an auspicious start to my investing career, <laughs> to be fair. In life, the irony of life is that you learn the most from the toughest things that you experience. So, um, and that kind of just developed a bit of an interest. And I guess it, it kind of, it was along those, it was linked in with, you know, I want to have this freedom to choose. So to have freedom of choice, you've got to be in a good financial position. And my parents didn't earn a lot of money. And so they'd always been good with money. And so I had grown up being good with money because there wasn't much money. So you had to be smart with what you did with what little you had. And so that's why I invested in the share market. And then as I kind of got into university, I started looking at property investment. And so I ended up buying my first property and ended up buying a couple more. And essentially, I guess I just turned a, a bit of a hobby into that career because I'm just going again to have freedom you've got to, you've got to have those financial foundations so that's really kind of where it all started from was just that drive it wasn't about the money because I'm really quite laid back I'm not about having flash things I'm not necessarily a big spender even though I'm in a good financial position it's more around I just really want to have that freedom and that independence yeah why do you think that the property values over time are more stable or a better investment as opposed to the stock market and overperform all that stuff over generations like a lot of people well, that yeah yeah i'm not sure that i agree with that because you know the indexes that i see if i guess there's a there's a, an important distinction which is which is the word leverage so when you're investing in the share market you're investing a hundred thousand dollars or a dollar whatever you want to term you want to use value you want to use and but when you're investing in property you can put like my first property it was eighty seven and a half thousand dollars so you know i only had to put a 20 percent deposit down so that's all that i actually had to save i didn't have to save the eighty seven thousand dollars so to get you know the return you know so it's leverage that's created property but if you took the leverage out the share market all the indexes that i've seen has actually overperformed 
property without leverage over time. So I, I don't necessarily know whether I'm pro-property or pro the share market. I, I'm very pro-investing. I look at things from a perspective of making sure people's financial foundations are really solid. So from a consumer one-on-one perspective, then that means don't do dumb shit with your money, you know, um, from the, you know, because we live in a consumer society where we are just bombarded with stuff from every angle today and people spend a lot of money on a lot of crap that they don't need and so in order to get ahead financially you've got to get a gap between what you spend and what you earn whether that's increasing your earnings or decreasing your spending but you've got to have a gap there because that's what starts you know that's what you start with and so it's more about that and then going okay well what resources have we got to work with do you have a deposit do you have an extra income what are your skills and then going okay well let's match you know, those resources that you have with the investment opportunities that are out there in the marketplace. Yeah, for sure. And definitely your skills in marketing help with that because getting consumers to spend their money has everything to do with marketing and getting to know your clients and networking. That all plays into what you're currently doing. So it's really beneficial. One thing that you were able to accomplish in your career was in 2003 when you were the inaugural Young Financial Planner of the Year Award. How were you able to do that so early in your career? And did it give you like that sense of like, oh, wow, I could really do this? Or how did it feel to get that award? I think I got it because I guess, you know, I have always, whenever I do something, I try to benchmark myself against the best. And so to be honest, I just worked my absolute butt off. (laughs) And, um, you know, and, and so that was a big part of it. You know, I just worked really, really hard. I did a lot of networking. I spent a lot of time learning. I also wrote a book. And so that, you know, that helps as well with your, with your profile. And, yeah, I just, I, I suppose I don't really, when I won it, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. But I'm kind of like already thinking about the next couple of things that I want to kind of achieve. So I suppose that's probably been one of my, looking back in life, Not I wouldn't call it regret, but if I was going to do things a little bit differently, I probably would be celebrating my successes a bit more rather than going, oh, yeah, and then get focus on the next one. I, you know, I haven't done a particularly good job at celebrating that. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. I talked to a lot of people that invest in properties, invest in startups, multiple successful founders. One thing that I see is that a lot of people, they end up, not celebrating their accomplishments because they're already focused on the next one. What do you think is the best way for you to manage expectations and actually live in the moment and be happy with what you have already accomplished? (laughs) Sometimes that comes with age and and this thing called wisdom, isn't it? And I suppose it's trying to balance up about what's important to you. And and I guess I had goals and I had I had financial goals that I, you know, I put a financial goal in place that in, in my mind it was kind of like when I get to that point, then I would have had that freedom. So I, I guess I was so focused on that. And so the upside of that was that I, I smashed through that goal, right? So that's the positive. The negative is in some ways I probably got to have a bit more fun. But on the other side, again, coming back to a positive, you know, and because a lot of my friends were going out on the weekend and I'm like, oh, sorry, I've got to work, right? So, you know, because I used to work most weekends. But now I have quite a lot of freedom and I've traveled all over the world. I've been to, I think, coming up to about 80 countries and I can kind of do what I want, you know. So a lot of my friends are going, oh, God, you're so lucky. And I'm like, well, you know, there's always trade-offs. So I, I think it's not necessarily a right or a wrong, but you've just got to sit down and go, well, what are the things that are actually important to you? 
and then and then prioritize and work your life to those things. Whereas yeah. a lot of people, I don't, yeah, you know, I just sometimes I see you know people who do spend a lot of time out there celebrating and they're on social media and they go, oh my, you know, look at me, and I go, well, you know, if that's what rings your bells, well, you know, go for your life. I'm probably a little bit more. You know, even though I've spent a lot of my life in the media, I'm actually quite a private person and I don't like to be shouting from the rooftops what I've actually done. No, 100%. I think that the humbler you are, the hungrier you are, because I think that the type of people that always are chasing something, I think that they end up being happier because when they actually finally do realize how much they accomplished at the end of the day, they'll be able to relax and be like, okay, I accomplished most of the things I wanted to accomplish. I just was recently reading, sorry if I'm being too blunt, something like that, about Sam Zell's life. Crazy cool. He also invested in real estate as well as other companies, just all around crazy cool guy, investor, just like did it all. And through that, he was like talking about how he would always see opportunity and go after it. And then he would always prioritize relaxing as well. And every single year during the summer, he would have a motorcycle bike ride with his friends. How do like working a lot is beneficial. What is something that you do to relax when you're not managing the three companies? Um, I'm quite fastidious about my going to the gym. So I've always gone to the gym. So that's one thing I do. I, and I, for probably maybe 15 years, I have the first thing that goes into my diary every year is my reoccurring gym appointments. So that's one thing I do. And I've taken up yoga. Um, I hated yoga when I was in my 20s because it was way too slow to drive me bananas. But I really enjoy yoga now. I find it makes me feel amazing. I, I have actually traveled a lot. So whilst I have worked crazy hours, I have always taken time off to do trips. I've done a lot of health retreats over the years, which I really enjoy, partly because, you know, obviously it makes you feel pretty amazing and it's good time out. But I've met some extraordinary people on them as well. And so what else do I do? I, I like to cook. Unfortunately, I, I, as much as I go to the gym, I like to cook and I like chocolate, so that I have to have to go to the gym to balance it out. But yeah, I do. You know, we do entertain a reasonable amount with having people around for for dinner. And a lot of the time, interesting too. You know, a lot of people that I've met through work and networking have actually become friends, which has been quite interesting. So therefore, you know, the people who I tend to hang out with, they're smart, successful, and interesting people doing some cool stuff. I think it's cool how all the way in New Zealand, people still have the same urges. Like personally, myself, I love dark chocolate. I run, I swim, I go to the gym, but I love eating chocolate. Like I used to eat like those. I don't They probably don't have Trader Joe's in New Zealand. I'm not sure, but they have like these ginormous one pound like dark chocolate bars. And I used to go through a whole entire pound of chocolate in like two to three days. But now I like cut that down because over the summer I was having too much chocolate and I was like, no more. And I was like, it's, it's good to know that in New Zealand, the chocolate still tastes as good. I would well, imagine. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, when you're younger, it's okay. Cause I remember traveling around Europe years ago and I, I ate a lot of chocolate, but I also walked a lot and I was in my early twenties. So it didn't actually make any difference to my waistline. Whereas now I have to be a lot more careful about those things like that. <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned about how you like going on vacation and some of the activities that you like doing in your free time. Mental health is a big topic nowadays and distressing from work is really important. How do you think that has played into the whole entire, like the workaholic mentality now? 
I guess looking at mental health, I think there's, there's a couple of things. And one thing I have done in my life is I've done a lot of personal development stuff that's kind of been outside business, but it's more around developing my mindset. So I think that's actually an important thing. And one of my views, because, you know, in my early days, I was always worrying what everybody, what everyone else thought of me. Now I don't give a flying hoot because I think about the fact that what other people think about me is their business and not my business. So I think, you know, that's helped a lot with my mental health over the years is really not worrying too much about what other people are doing and about what they're thinking about me and kind of not beating myself up like I used to, you know, in the early days to go, oh, God, that was really slack. I shouldn't have said this or I shouldn't have said that. And now I'm going, oh, well, <laughs> I kind of observe things and then go, no, oh, I was a bit of a dick um, and I probably shouldn't have said that, but that's okay. Let's just move on. And I don't dwell on the past. And I think with mental health, I, I, you know, it's really important that, A, you have some time out in some shape or form. doesn't have to be a lot, but it's got to be some time out. And I think you've got to be really careful about what you eat, you know, what you eat and getting some sunshine, getting some exercise. And also, too, you know, the world is a pretty depressing place in lots of respects today. And I don't read the news anymore. So, you know, I read, I have a few Facebook feeds in kind of my industry I kind of figure if there's anything major that happens, someone will tell me about it or I will see it. But I generally speaking, don't read the news like I used to because I find that people who do spend a long time reading the news can be quite negative. So I kind of focus on what I eat. I always try to go to bed at a similar time. You know, I get exercise. I'm around good people. If there's negative people that, I'm, you know, that I come across, I just tend to get them out of my life. You know, so there's a lot of those things that I have done and learned over the years because obviously, you know, I'm in my early 50s now. Well, you know, in my 20s, I was pretty crap at all this stuff. So, you know, you do learn. And the better you get at it, I think the, the smarter the decisions that you can make. Because, you know, when I was younger, I worked hard, long and hard. Now I'm more about trying to work smart but hard. So, you know, just really thinking through my decisions, whereas, you know, in, the earlier, in my early years, I was kind of living life on a hamster wheel. Um, yeah. And it was only because I actually liked exercise, and I've always generally eaten well, apart from the chocolate, that I haven't actually had any health issues because a lot of people around me have had a lot of problems with their health, mental health and, and physical health from just not taking care of themselves. And the better you take care of yourself, I think the better results you have for the relationships around you and, and your career as well. Wow. You, you just said a lot of really powerful statements there and they resonated a lot with me because currently I'm living definitely on a hamster wheel right now. But I think that when you're in your 20s, it's okay to live in your hamster wheel because you only have a couple of years where you actually, your body could manage living on a hamster wheel because at a certain point, your body will definitely start shutting down. And I'm right now I'm looking forward to the years ahead where I have like my, I call it like, instead of a hamster wheel, I'd say like a racehorse because like the racehorse, it has a prime for like four years. And then after it goes and greases somewhere in somebody's backyard. So I like to think about it. Yeah, I, I think also too, you know, living on a hamster wheel but feeling happy and excited by life is a bit different from living on one when you've got a huge amount of stress and anxiety because your relationships are a mess. You know, you've got major problems in your business that you're, that you're keeping you awake at night. So I think if, you, if you've got healthy busyness and you're not worrying too much because I think it's that worrying energy that often has you know a big impact and that's where you know I really encourage people if they if, if they aren't already taking up some kind of mindfulness practice 
you know, yoga, working with a, with a coach or a counselor or something to actually help with their mental health? Yeah, one thing that I found was when I started recording podcasts and trying to find the new way to innovate and I would just have these ideas all night and I wouldn't be able to sleep. So what I ended up doing was I would grab a notebook and start writing and keep writing until I just get tired. And I get tired, I go to sleep, I wake up, I look at the ideas and then I just like refresh. Because that way it's like I have everything that's on my mind on paper. So now I, can, I don't have to worry about it when I sleep and it helps me clear my mind. So I think that if you really do try to find a solution, there is a solution out there for everybody. One thing that I did want to ask you is obviously working with a lot of people and being in charge, you are the boss and it's very glamorous at times, but when things go bad, it's also on you. What was one time that you were in a situation where there was a mistake and you had to find a way to get out of it? Well, I haven't directly managed people for a while now. I'm just trying to think because I tend to, you know, I don't tend to dwell a lot on the past. I tend to kind of observe things in the moment and think about, you know, what, what have I learned and then kind of move on. But, yeah, I'm sort of struggling to think of an example. I did have a bit of a, had a rogue employee maybe about 10 years ago that was a bit messy that we ended up having to get lawyers involved and that was took a took a fair bit of money and a fair bit of time to work through that process but we needed to unfortunately we needed to get lawyers involved in this particular situation you know what did I learn from it I, yeah I'm not really sure it came from out of the blue to be honest I guess you know you could say well you know maybe we could have had more conversations with that employee and tried to understand more about what they were trying to achieve in their life maybe but you know hard to know because sometimes people play cards pretty close to their chest and this person particularly did I mean it did come from left field so I think it's you know you're all doesn't matter what you do you're always going to have things that come from left field and I think the important thing is to go okay well it's just it is what it is you just have to go sit down take a deep breath not take the stress out and the energy out of it and sit down and go what what what's our plan to get through this you know, because you can get yourself into all a bit of a fluster, go, oh, you know, and kind of start blaming yourself. And then I think, again, it's always important to try and take the energy out of it and then start putting your practical pants on and going, well, how do you work through the problem? Wow. Sounds like a crazy story. And after something like that, if you always dwell on the past, you're never ever going to be able to move forward. And because you're able to kind of see that situation and like, okay, this is possible, but most of the time this isn't going to happen and you're able to move on from that situation. It's not haunting you that bad. And 10 years later, you're still succeeding and you're still able to be at the top of your game. And thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciated everything you had to share. Uh, We'll put the links down in the show notes for everybody who's interested, whether it be interested in reading the book or some of the other information covered during this podcast. If you have something to say to the audience, now is your chance. Thank you so much for coming on. Right, thanks, Simon. I really appreciate the the opportunity to have a chat to everyone. And I hope that uh, my story and experiences will, um, you know, add something even no matter how small to, to your life and make your life a lot easier. And it's interesting that certainly over time that you do develop quite a lot of wisdom and it's nice to be able to share it.